reading from the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with the first verse. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took two with him, two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have wondered at some point in your life how you could find a way to never be disappointed again. Disappointment, I'm not sure it's an emotion, but I think it is certainly one of the things that human beings feel that is deep and remembered. There's another thing that we feel called mirth. It happens to us when a joke lands in just the right way. And it's that feeling of mirth that causes us to, to expel laughter. I'll give you an example of that. A playwright once asked Charlie Chaplin how he could improve his jokes. 
And he asked about the, the kind of classic banana peel joke of a person walking along and stepping on a banana peel and falling. And Charlie Chaplin told him, he said, first choose what you will focus on, whether it will be the person walking or the banana. Either one, it doesn't matter, he said. But you alternate between the two as the person comes closer and closer to the banana peel. And what he's saying is that your audience's expectation that the person is going to slip on the banana peel will climb. It's that same sense you feel when you watch an Olympic skier at the top of the long jump ramp as they lift one ski and shake it to make sure it's affixed and lift the other ski and shake it and make sure it's affixed. They put their poles in the ground and stretch their body and get their quads ready to launch them over the ramp and your expectation builds that you're about to see something incredible, a jump, and you're about to see something dangerous. And your expectation of what will happen when they hit the end of the ramp is met by all the things you've ever seen before. And likewise, Chaplin was calling to this screenwriter's mind his expectation that when the person hit the banana peel, they were going to slip and fall. And Charlie Chaplin says this, but instead of that, you pan out to show the person step over the banana peel and fall in a manhole, and then it will be funny. And if you picture that, that's pretty right, right? Just seeing somebody fall on a banana peel, we're used to that. But if you see them step over the banana peel, fall into a manhole, we'll all laugh. And that seems to be the common thing about America's Funniest Home Videos. The more people get hurt in the video, the more people laugh. It creates mirth. Mirth. And so we laugh. In the same way, our expectations create something in us. And if we truly want to avoid disappointment, the only possible way we can ever do it is not to expect anything from anyone. That's it. Otherwise, we will always be disappointed because every last one of us has an opinion about the proper placement of a banana peel in the world. Every last one of us has an opinion about the proper way to address the long jump or whatever it is that's in front of us about how someone should behave in a particular situation. We all have expectations that we place on one another. The reason that it hurts us when our close friends do something to us is that we have expected more of them when they're simply just human like us. So the only way that we can ever avoid disappointment is to never expect anything whether good or bad from anyone I'm not sure that's possible I would almost risk saying I know it's impossible because the more that we learn about people the more our expectations are formed if we live with a certain group of people our whole life, our expectations of the world are formed by that group of people. If we live with a certain worldview all our life, our expectations of the world are formed by that worldview. I'm not sure we should be held at fault for that, but we must always be aware of it. Abraham had a worldview when he was called Abram, and it did not include the God of Israel. 
But one day the God of Israel spoke to Abram and called him out of his father's country to go into a fatherland because the God of Israel had determined that he would do something about sin in the world and the utter, utter, utter destruction of faithful expectations. For it is sin that drives us to expect more of people than they can deliver because ultimately we expect people to worship us. Whether our beings, our opinions, or whatever, we want people to hold us in high esteem so we can feel good about ourselves. That is the root of sin in us. It's often called pride. Where we put ourselves first and above others. It's why Jesus taught us to love God first and to love others second. In a sense, saying that loving others was the same as loving God and implying then that if we don't love others, we can't possibly claim that we love God, which is exactly what John said in 1 John. Expectations. How do we build good expectations? How do we build faithful expectations? I would submit to you that the only way possible is to read Scripture. First, we read Scripture. Second, we apply it to our lives right now. With everything that's in front of us and going on, we read Scripture with an eye to the world. Carl Bard and John Wesley both said to read the Bible and the newspaper hand in hand. It is a mirror that we can hold up to the world and see it for what it really is. To see its brokenness and if it's broken, then it means that it is a prime candidate for healing. I've never seen a scab just come up on healthy skin. Anybody? Scabs come up on wounds, don't they? And they're the process of healing. The Bible holds up for us the scab. It holds up for us the wound that has infected humanity. And the healing that Jesus brings then comes into clarity so that we can understand what God is doing in the world and creating faithful expectations of what will be. So we might ask ourselves, then, what does it mean to be faithful? And to be quite honest with you, that is a very difficult question to answer. For every single person's opinion of what it means to be faithful will depend primarily on who God is in their life. If God is a guarantee, a guarantor of eternal life, if God is just an instrument to them of getting what they want, if God is simply someone who punches our ticket, if God is a great cosmic vending machine in the sky, if God is someone that we call on just when we need something, then they will have very low expectations of God and it will be very hard for them to develop high expectations of what God is doing in the world because this world they've been taught doesn't matter. So many have, people have been taught that we die and leave this world and escape it forever and that there's nothing good here, but God's scripture says that this world is being renewed and recreated in the living Christ. What are faithful expectations? They begin with reading the stories of Scripture. And the story of Abraham is the first order story of faithfulness. 
It is the one that is intended to start teaching us what it looks like to have faithful expectations of God and to have faithful expectations of ourselves. I don't think that I could rush out to do what Abraham did. I can readily admit that my faith is not that strong. I could not go to my daughter and say, hey, we're going to go make an offering to God and then hide the fact that she was the one who was the offering. I don't yet have that kind of faith. The good news is, if we read the story correctly, that's not exactly what was going to happen anyway. So the truth is, God's intention all along was that Abraham would not sacrifice his son whose name was Laughter thereby removing the laughter and joy from his own life. God called Abraham to show his faithfulness and to show that God was above everything else in his life, that God was first. And therefore, what happens is Abraham's expectations of God are legitimate. They're faithful. As a test for that, we can turn to chapter 11, of the book of Hebrews, incidentally, it's my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And in that chapter, we're told the, some of the stories of some of the faith heroes of the Old Testament, as we call it. And in this one place, in chapter 11, beginning with verse 17, we hear about this story of Abraham and Isaac and Mount Moriah and God's call to Abraham to demonstrate his faithfulness. And here's what we hear. By faith, do you hear that? his own strength, not by his own will, not by his own merit, but by his faith in who he knew God was. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And you might think, wait a minute, wait a minute, book of Hebrews. God told him to stop. But we might remember that Jesus taught us that when we have killed our brother in our hearts, We are guilty of murder. When we have called someone a fool, we are guilty of killing them. When we have done things in our hearts, then we are guilty of having done them. He lists adultery and murder and some other things that go along with that throughout his teachings. That we are guided by our hearts. And in Abraham's heart, he had trusted God. And so Abraham set out for Moriah not hoping that God would change God's mind, but he set out for Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. And this is what the book of Hebrews offers to us. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it was through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You might remember that God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. And here Abraham is with one legitimate child left. The one that God had said the promises would be fulfilled through. And God has said to Abraham, take Isaac and kill him and offer him to me. And this is what the book of Hebrews tells us about that. Not that Abraham went trusting that God would change God's mind about what he had asked. Not 
going, believing that it was just a test. But Abraham went with the intent to fulfill what God asked. And in verse 19 of Hebrews 11, you can read this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. When God called Abraham, Abraham's expectation of God is that God would be faithful to God's promise. Because of who God was in his life, his first order expectation of God is that God is faithful. And if God has promised me offspring through Isaac, then I will have them. And so when God calls him to offer Isaac, Abraham goes to offer Isaac, believing in his heart that God would then raise Isaac from the dead. Man, that's faith. It's one kind of faith to think that God might call you to give something up. It's a totally different thing to believe that God might give it back just because you gave it up. Faithful expectations. Abraham through what he had learned about God thus far, expected that God would be faithful to God's promise to bear him descendants through Isaac. That's powerful. So I might ask, what are our expectations of God? Do we expect God to be good? Do we expect God to be trifling? Do we expect God to hate? Do we expect God to be loving? What do we expect from God? Do we expect God to be patient? Do we expect God to be a fastidious tyrant who's bent on vengeance? Or do we expect God to be forgiving? And our answers to those questions will depend on how much of the stories of the Bible we know. Because if all we know is that the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell, we can't answer any of these questions. But if we know how God dealt with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, how God dealt with John the Baptist, how God dealt with Paul, how God dealt with Peter and the other disciples, if we know those things, then we are equipped to reason how God will deal with us in the midst of whatever hell humanity can unleash. These stories open for us the reality of God's faithfulness. First century rabbis, I don't know who they were because I just saw where some commentator had referenced them. But there were some first century rabbis who had pointed out that Isaac had basically carried his own cross of sacrifice. These were not Christians, but Jewish people who had seen the Romans execute people on the cross. But surely somewhere in the midst of that, we can hear the Jesus story as Abraham is called to offer his only beloved son. Do we not hear God say, here is my son whom I love. Here is my son, the beloved, my one and only son given for you. And in this story, the expectation is given to us that God will not do what, well, God will not ask us to do something that God is not willing to do for us. 
which I've been told is the beginning of real leadership. But this story becomes a foreshadowing of the story of Jesus as Isaac carries the wood of sacrifice up the hill. Do you not hear in that Jesus carrying the cross to Golgotha, the instrument of his sacrifice? But when Abraham was about to sacrifice his own son, God stopped him. Then God offers his own son for us. When we read this story, we may be plagued by the horror, the idea that we might offer our child up. And we might connect to that in a very real way and say, what kind of God would ask this? And it's the kind of God who would have us see the pain that sin caused in the world and the depth that God went to remedy sin in the world and that we should take sin in the world seriously and have the faithful expectation that God is going to deal with sin in the world so that we can step back and look and say, where can we be at work alleviating the hell and the torment that sin brings? in the world? Where can the church join in the work of Christ of being the Lamb of God and being the change and the transformation in the sorry world that we live in where people can hate people because of the color of their skin and believe that they are justified? Where people can hate people because of how they vote and believe that they are justified? When people can hate people because of where they live and believe that they are justified? But the God of justification would say, I gave my only son for you and for them who are we then to hear this story and not feel the naked shame of our own expectations that all of this is just about us and not about others this story would call us to a different expectation of a God who is willing to give his only son his only beloved son, to have that only beloved son shamefully carry the wood of his own sacrifice to the top of a hill and be offered for all people of all times. What expectations will that create in us of our God? If our first sense is, is repugnance at what God has asked us to do, then we are in touch with the depth and the hurt that Abraham was experiencing and prepared to fully experience. And it is meant, I believe, to be a glimmer for us of the hurt that God experienced in the death of his own son to bring about our freedom, something that was done in love. So how then will we answer our expectations of God? Do we believe God to be good? How can we believe anything else? Do we believe God to be trifling? How in the world could we come to that conclusion? Do we believe God to be hate? Surely, the story of Jesus, surely when the angel stays Abraham's hand, we can learn that God is first and foremost a God of love who wants his people to love him and serve him. What are our expectations of God? Is God our humble servant? Or are we called to be his? This story begs those questions of us. What does it look like to be faithful?
to God. And especially a God who has been so deeply faithful to us as to do the unthinkable for us. For people who more often than not have turned their back on him. Isaac carries the wood of his own sacrifice up the hill and he asks his dad, Hey dad, you know, we got plenty of wood, we got some fire, but we don't have a lamb. I've often wondered if it was starting to sink into Isaac's mind that maybe he was the sacrifice, but we have no way of knowing that. But Abraham answered Isaac this way, God will provide the lamb. And it's easy to read this story and get stuck at the ram that is in some, in some ways of translating behind Abraham as he stands with Isaac. The ram is caught behind him as if it's waiting for him to turn and see it. And when God stays God's hand, God somehow calls Abraham's attention to the ram in the thicket. And Abraham sacrifices the ram. Christian exegetes from the first century on have interpreted that in the same way that I think John the Baptist interpreted it. The lamb that was provided was not the ram that was caught in the thicket, but the lamb of God who came down to the river Jordan to walk through a 33-year journey to a cross carrying the own wood of his sacrifice to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to be the perfect offering of God Almighty for God's own creation. And as we read this story and we see and we fear for Abraham and fear the pain that he's going to experience, surely it can give us some insight into the cost and the depth of sin and cause us not to want to perpetuate it, but to see it destroyed. That is the true expectation of Christianity that sin and death have been destroyed, that new creation is coming, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is what faithful expectations look like, which then should somehow communicate to us, the church, that part of a faithful life for us is to be people who wipe the tears from the eyes of our neighbors and our friends and even our enemies. So I ask you again, what do you expect of God? And what do you believe God expects of you? For expectations can be powerful when they are faithful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.